Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Good morning, everyone. Glad everyone is up and ready. Come together, join us on Facebook Live. So glad that you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. Amen. Hallelujah. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious is that grace! The hour I first believed Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already safe thus far and grace will lead me home when we've been there ten thousand years bright shining the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Praise God. Praise God, 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 
God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you all this morning. There we go. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. We want to thank you for joining us this morning on Facebook Live. I'm Pastor Mike Brunzo, and we're coming to you from the Sanctuary of Faith Fellowship Church here in Louisville, Kentucky. And we just want to tell you how pleased we are with the tremendous response that we've been getting on our, with our broadcast, both on Sundays and on Wednesday nights. It's our desire to reach as many people as we possibly can with the gospel, and so it pleases us to know how many people we've been reaching over this last four weeks, so... Keep on hitting those share buttons and those like buttons and hashtags and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And let's continue to reach as many people as we possibly can. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians 2. And we'll be reading through verses 8 through 10. I want to talk to you this morning about amazing grace and what makes it so amazing. I'm teaching about God's grace this morning because if we have a better understanding of God's grace, I believe we'll have a better understanding of God and a greater appreciation for him and what grace means to us. But before we start in Ephesians 2, 8, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. We thank you for all those that are within our voice this morning, everyone that hears. We pray that you'll give them ears to hear, hearts to believe and receive, eyes to see. And we thank you, Lord, that this will be a seed planted in fertile soil, and it will bring forth fruit, much fruit. And we thank you and we praise you that the Holy Ghost is here with us. He's present to give us revelation and understanding and make all things understandable to us. So we thank you and praise you for that this morning, and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Ephesus. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, grace is an important part of our foundation for our Christian faith, Because it gives us power to walk in the good works that God has ordained us to walk in. And yet, as important as it is, it's something that's widely misunderstood by a lot of people. And most people would define grace as being God's unmerited and undeserved favor. And that would be correct because it is something that's unmerited and it is something that's undeserved. But that's not all there is to grace. Our opening scripture tells us, by grace... Are you saved? Saved from what? Saved from sin and the ultimate result of sin, which is spiritual death, separation from God, and an an eternal existence in a devil's hell. That's what he saved us from. Thank God. But did you know grace not only saves us from sin, but it will also keep us from sin. And this is where the misunderstanding lies. Grace is actually a very powerful offensive and defensive weapon that we can use against the devil. Grace is the attitude and character 
of God towards us. His mercy, his goodness, and his love is all incorporated in his grace. Grace embodies all the goodness and mercy of God. And grace is God's greatest gift and it's man's greatest need. Let's look at grace in the Old Testament first. I think it will show us that there's more to grace than we know. The Old Testament speaks about grace as being the unearned favor of a superior to an, in, to an inferior where there is no obligation to, to show such favor. In other words, it's something that is given above and beyond any obligations from the person that's giving to the person that needs it. And sometimes, for example, I hire my grandchildren, uh, specifically Ethan and Tyler, who happened to be staying with us uh, at the time being, and I'll hire them to do some yard work for me. And I tell them, I'll give you 20 bucks a piece, which is already more than I'm obligated to do because I'm feeding the little rascals. But anyway, if I pay them the 20 bucks, that would not be grace. Why? Because I was obligated to do that per our agreement. We agreed that he, they would do the work and I would pay them. However, if I gave them an extra five bucks that was not a part of the agreement, then that would be grace because I wasn't obligated to give them that. The 20 bucks was merited and deserved, but the extra five bucks was unmerited and undeserved. And that's what makes it grace. It's something that I didn't deserve. It's something that I didn't earn, something I couldn't have earned, and it was still given to me anyway. That's grace. So grace in the Old Testament also has to do with mercy, loving kindness, and favor. But in the New Testament, grace has to do with a favorable regard that is bestowed or awarded or granted to a person without obligation to do so. It's something that we're receiving from God that he wasn't obligated to do or to give us. In other words, grace is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God, and faith is also a gift from God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God, a gift. Uh, and, and, and what a generous and loving God to give us a gift like this. You know, uh, grace is what brings us salvation. God wanted us saved because of grace. And uh, faith is what helps us to get that, to receive that salvation. And faith was even given to us. The Bible says that uh, every man was given the measure of faith. Why did you give us a measure of faith? So that when salvation came along through grace, I would have enough faith to believe it and receive it. So everything that we have, God gave us. He preordained it for us. And we can never earn God's grace or acceptance. It's given to us freely and willingly. It's a visible expression of God's power in action. Uh, we're brought into right standing with God because of his grace towards us. And that's only one of the benefits of grace. I mean, if grace stopped right there, it would be more than enough because it got us saved. In the New Testament, grace is not only favor or kindness, but it's favor or kindness shown to someone who didn't earn it or deserve it. And uh, in order to have a full understanding of what grace is, I think it would help us if we first understood what grace is not. So grace is not divine permission to sin. 
And it's not divine permission to live any way that we want to and still think that we're in right standing with God. You can never sin with any degree of safety. There's always a risk in sin. But there's an awful lot of believers that think they can sin and live a loose lifestyle and uh, uh, only because they're under grace and that no matter what they do, Grace will cover it. God will forgive them. But that is wrong both in the Old and the New Testaments. See, grace doesn't excuse us from sin. It's actually something that gives us the power to resist sin and to do what's right. Grace is a teacher that not only teaches us what to do, uh, but it also gives us the, the power and the ability to do it. Titus, in chapter 2, verse 11 of his epistle, he says, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. So, uh, you know, how do I know grace has been revealed? It brought salvation. It, it saved me. And I, I'm going to add this. As a result of grace or because of grace, and then I'll continue with the scripture, we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. And it's grace that enables us to do that. And I know some people don't want to hear this because you've been sliding around on what I like to call greasy grace for a long time. And you think you can sin and live any way you want to and still one day slide into heaven and, and, and grace will be the grease that helps you to do it. But that's not the way it works. That's not what grace is. But don't take my word for it. Look at what Jude said. This is Jesus' brother. He said this about that very thing in his short epistle to the church in Jude chapter, chapter 1, verse 4. He said, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So grace is not something that allows us to sin or live ungodly lives. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail card uh, free for sinners. Uh, Jews said they're false, these false teachers who didn't want to control their flesh, and that's what it boils down to. They want to just let their flesh run wild and do whatever it wants to do and have no restraints on it, no discipline in their lives. And he says they perverted the doctrine of grace. And they taught that as long as you kept your spirit intact, your flesh could do whatever it wanted to do and grace would cover it. And I'm telling you, we would do anything to just our, justify our little sins. But look at what the, the apostle Paul said about it. In Romans 5.20 through, through chapter 6 and verse 2, he says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. See, the law is like a 12-inch ruler to show you that you're only 11 inches tall and you will never measure up. That's all the law was for. It was a comparison. It was a standard for you to live by and for you to understand that nobody could live by the law because the law requires you to be perfect. 
And so it pointed to a Savior because Jesus came on the scene. He said, I'll live that perfect life for you. I'll die for you as your substitute. I'll pay the price for your sin. And then when you accept me as your Lord and Savior and you believe in your heart that God raised me from the dead on the third day, if you'll confess that with your mouth, you'll be saved. And, and it will all be because of what I did, not because of what you did. And so Jesus is the only one that ever lived the perfect life. He fulfilled every letter of the law so that he could do it for us. Hallelujah. It's like uh, you having a hard test to do in school or, or at work or something. And the boss tells you, I tell you what, Brother Darrell already took the test and he got 100 on it. So you could either take your chances and take the test yourself or I'll give you Brother Darrell's grade. What do you want to do? Well, I'll take the test myself. Not. No, you'll accept Brother Darrell's grade because he got 100%. You can't do no better than that. And that's the same way it is with Jesus. Accept his work. Hallelujah. So uh, grace is not something that allows ungodly living. So now that we know what the law was for, it was given so that we could distinguish right from wrong. And then in verse 21, he continues. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ. How many knows that's a whole lot better than death? And then in, ver in chapter 6, verse 1, he continues and says, Well then... Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Hey, there's a good question. Should we keep sinning so God can just keep pouring out his wonderful grace? I wonder how Paul would answer that question. Oh, wait a minute. It's right here in the next verse. In verse 2, he said, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Of course not. The King James uh, Version says it like this. What then? Shall we sin more so we can receive more grace? And then Paul said, God forbid. No, we should not sin and, and challenge grace. Uh, what it's talking about here is that no matter how much sin you were in before you got saved, before you got saved, God's grace was greater than your sin. In, in other words, no matter how big your sin was, God's grace much more abounded. God's grace was greater than your sin. No matter how much sin you're in right now or what you're doing, God's grace is much greater than the sin that you're in. God's grace abounds more than your sin. In other words, I don't care how bad you are, what sin you're involved in, what sin you were involved with, past, present, and future Grace will always abound and be greater than that sin. Hallelujah. What a wonderful promise that is. So no one can ever say, God can't forgive me because my sins are too great. That's a lie from the pit of hell, and that's what the devil wants you to believe. But I'm telling you now, your sin is not greater than God's grace. God's grace will always abound over your sin. So grace is not based on how good or bad we are or how well we can comply with the works of the law. It doesn't make any difference how many good works you do. Grace is not a passive attitude that God has, has towards us. Grace is not 
something that just causes God to tolerate or overlook our sin and all the stupid things we do. That is not what grace is. Some people think that grace is what gives them the ability to just simply tolerate everything that comes down the pike. Just tolerate everything that the devil throws at you. Just tolerate all of the adverse circumstances in your life. Uh, For example, I'm going through a hard time right now, and it's really rough. But thank God he gave me the grace to tolerate it. No, he didn't give you the grace to tolerate it. He gave you the grace to stand victorious through it. He gave us the grace to conquer it and overcome it. And grace isn't cheap either. Myself, along with many other ministers, have always taught that salvation is free for the asking. When I ask somebody to accept the Lord Jesus, I don't put a price on it. I don't put any, there's no strings attached. I don't tell you you have to do anything or change anything or or become a better person before Jesus will accept you. I tell them salvation is free and Jesus will accept you just the way you are. Come as you are. Jesus will never turn you away. But that doesn't mean that it didn't cost somebody something. Grace or, or salvation is free to us, but that doesn't mean it didn't cost God something. It cost him his only begotten son, and it cost his son, Jesus Christ, his very life. So although it didn't cost us anything, it cost him dearly. And salvation costs more than we could ever pay. Jesus shed his blood and paid it with his own life. And when we think it's free and have an attitude that it's free or an attitude of entitlement, like is running rampant in this generation that we're living in right now, in this culture rather. And when we have that type of attitude that is free, it will cause us to treat it as though it was something cheap. And it wasn't cheap. It cost God everything. It cost Jesus everything. When our kids were young and we, we caught them mistreating something that we paid hard-earned money for, like a, a toy or a piece of furniture or anything else, we would call an emergency meeting with the Board of Education. And uh, that Board of Education was about this long, had a nice handle on it, about three-quarters of an inch thick, and I, I'd had holes drilled in it so it would cut down on the wind resistance when I swung it. And then sometimes they would also have a meeting with Mr. Belt. And and, uh, you can ask my kids, I'm not lying. (laughs) Uh, You heard of the car that can go from zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds? I could unbuckle my belt and clear seven belt loops in 0.05 seconds. That's how fast I was with the belt. But we taught them to treat things with respect, especially things that didn't belong to them. We taught them that when someone entrusted them with something that didn't belong to them, that they should treat it better than if it was their own. And when they return it, they should return it in better condition than when they got it. And if you borrow somebody's lawnmower, for example, before you return it, you clean it, you change the oil in it, you tune it up, and you sharpen the blades before you return it. I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what I required. And uh, they practice that to this day. Uh, You know, my son Chris was in the market for a new car for his wife. Theirs was no longer drivable. And he asked if he could borrow mine. I said, sure. 
But when he returned it, that car was detailed on the inside. It was clay barred on the outside and full of gas. And it made me proud because he didn't treat it as though it was something cheap. He, he showed me that he could be trusted with something that was valuable, at least to me. And because of that, he'll get more grace in the future. He'll be able to borrow other things in the future because I know I could trust him. He doesn't consider it to be cheap or not valuable. And what's that got to do with grace? Well, it's because of grace that we have forgiveness of sin. That's part of our salvation. God knew even though we were born again and even though all our sins were forgiven, he knew from day to day we're going to miss the mark, we're going to fall short of his perfect standard, and we're going to sin. And so he's given us a provision in 1 John 1 and 9. He says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise. And we could do that on a daily basis. When you miss it, all you have to do is go to him, confess your sin. He'll forgive you and cleanse you, put you right back on the right track again, and off you go. Amen. I mean, that is what grace is personified. But we should never treat that as though it's cheap. And someone will say, well, uh, I would never treat it as it was cheap. You do when you keep going to them and confessing the same sin over and over. You're treating that uh, uh, privilege of having forgiveness of sins and cleansing on a daily basis. You're treating that as though it was cheap and doesn't have much value to it. And yet it, uh, that, that provision cost Jesus his life and all his precious blood. And we should never use it as though it's cheap uh, just because we didn't have to pay for it. So if you keep asking forgiveness for the same sin over and over without remorse or repentance, then you're taking advantage of God's grace and you're using it as though it's not very valuable to you. Thank God for grace. Thank God that he forgives us and thank God for cleansing. But sooner or later, you're going to have to repent of that sin and overcome it. And it's grace that will give you the power and the ability to do that. See, you can't treat grace like a car you rented from hers. You know, and you know what I'm talking about. You, you drive it like it's stolen. And you would never drive your own car that way uh, because you esteem your car more highly because it costs you something. As a matter of fact, you're probably still paying for it. So you treat it differently. You, uh, you, you know, you should treat that rental the same way you do your own car uh, because although it didn't cost you anything, it cost somebody something. And this is the section where I get to meddle a little bit. Parents, if your children, or in our case now grandchildren, treat their toys or, or furniture like you drive that rental car, then that should be a red flag. It's cheap and has no value to them, and it's all because it didn't cost them anything. But it cost you something. You worked hard for the money you bought those things with. As a matter of fact, you probably did without something so that you could buy them the things that they want. And they need to respect those things as though they paid for them. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of times that's why I paid my grandkids for extracurricular chores or something around the house so they could buy some things for themselves. And I guarantee you, because they paid for it with their hard-earned money, they treated it a whole lot differently. And, you know, they need to respect things, uh, even though they didn't pay for them, as though they did. And, and if they're not doing that, then 
It needs to be correct. I'm just saying. But we talked about what grace is not. Now let's talk for a few minutes about what grace is. Grace is what flows out of our gracious, loving God. Our God is gracious because he loves us unconditionally and wants to show us kindness and bestow favor upon us. Our God is gracious. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. The whole kingdom. And that includes everything that's in it. Every promise God ever made is in the kingdom, and he's given that all to us. That's grace. That's favor. And so John 10, 10 tells us he wants us to have abundant life. Romans 10, 12 tells us that he is rich unto all those who call upon him. Ephesians 1, 6 tells us his grace has made us acceptable to him. James 1, 5 tells us that God gives liberally and grace is personified in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1 and 14 tells us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And then Luke tells us again that grace was upon him and his words were gracious. His words were filled with grace. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor indeed. Boys and Girl Scouts get merit badges because they work for them and they earn them. That's why they're called merit badges. They were merited. The grace of God is given freely without us having to, to work for it or do anything whatsoever to earn it. That's unmerited. And because it is free and unmerited, sometimes pride will keep us from receiving things from God, especially his favor. And, and you know, for some reason, people just have a hard time receiving something that's free or something that they didn't earn. We have been programmed since childhood that we should earn everything that we get. And it's hard for us sometimes to accept a gift. As soon as somebody offers us a gift, we're looking for strings. Where's the strings? You know, why are you giving me this? You know, what's attached to it? You're going to want something in return. That's just our nature. But God is not that way. When God gives us something free, it is free indeed. And, you know, uh, a lot of times uh, people will say, here, I want you to have this, you know, and, and it's happened to me. I, I've learned since then, thank God, but someone would offer me something, and I say, oh, no, 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 I can't accept that. Why? Pride. Pride. Uh, you know, I had to learn how to receive something and just say thank you. And religion is like that. And I'm not bad-mouthing religious people or religions. James said there's a good and a bad religion. And so good religion, the religion that we believe in is based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's good religion. Bad religion is based on a bunch of do's and don'ts and a bunch of rules and regulations. Uh, it has you dressing a certain way, walking a certain way. You can't wear makeup. Uh, you can't have long hair if you're a man, short hair if you're a woman. Uh, you have to pray kneeling down and yeah, you can't eat this or that, and you have to fast so many days a week, and you can't work on Sundays. That's just a bunch of man-made rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Free from what? Free from the law and the religion and burdens that we were never able to bear in the first place. 
God don't want us to bear those things. Again, all those do's and don'ts, rules and regulations was just a measuring stick. It was just to show us what was right and wrong and to prove to us that we can never live up to those things. That's bad religion. And people are in bondage because they think they have to earn God's acceptance uh, or earn his love. But grace is free. God's favor is free. God's love is free. He chose us long before we chose him. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. As a matter of fact, it can't be earned. You just have to accept it and say, thank you, Lord. You know, it would help us if we understood the difference between grace and mercy. You see a lot of mercy in the Bible, a lot, a lot of it in the Old Testament. And mercy is basically getting what you don't deserve, where grace is not getting what you do deserve. And, you know, when it comes to God, I'd much rather have what I don't deserve than get what I do deserve because I deserve a devil's hell. But I'll take what I don't deserve, and that's God's grace and God's salvation. Uh, let's say that my wonderful children broke a toy by mistreating it. But I told them that I was going to let them slide and forgive them without punishing them. You know, no, no Board of Education meeting and no meeting with Mr. Belt. And if I did that, that would be mercy because they didn't get what they did deserve. Because they deserved a meeting with the board and a meeting with Mr. Belt. But then out of the goodness of my heart, in, in addition to forgiving them and not punishing them, I replaced that toy with a brand new one. That's grace because they got what they didn't deserve. And God is, uh, or grace is God's operational power based on his character. That's what God did for us. He gave us what we didn't deserve, and he didn't give us what we did deserve. And so he's a gracious God. And, and you can't really operate in faith and hope unless you understand grace. You can have hope for salvation. That's sort of like wishing for something. You know, I wish the UPS driver would come and bring me a box of money. Uh, that's kind of what hope is. And, and, you know, but without grace, for example, there is no salvation because it wasn't offered. It was grace that offered it, and it was our faith that received it. But unless it's offered, you can't receive it. I mean, we didn't get what we deserved. We got what we didn't deserve, praise God. But there's three types of grace. And... Uh, I'm going to go over, with, over them with you quickly. Saving grace, standing grace, and serving grace. And we need grace in all three of these areas because there are different needs for grace. Saving grace is the impartation of God's life. It's his strength and its ability going into us. It's God's power working in us to justify us and make us a new creation in Christ. And when you accepted Jesus as Lord and you were born again, you experienced saving grace. Hallelujah. And saving grace is a demonstration of God's nature, where the law is a demonstration of man's nature. The law was man's vehicle to save himself, which is exactly what religion is. If I do this or that, and if I do enough of this, and if I do this good enough, then I'll find favor with God, and he'll let me into heaven. But that's, that never works because we can never fulfill the law. 
I mean, even if you were good enough and you were just like Jesus and you fulfilled all the law and you climbed that ladder to heaven, when you got to the top, God would resist you because you'd be full of pride. Look what I did. And that's not what it's all about. That type of religion is futile because we can never measure up to God's perfect standard. Grace was God's vehicle, and by it, he initiated salvation. And then there's standing grace, which gives us strength and enables us to stand victorious in this life. Standing grace is a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool. And and there's tremendous power available to us in standing grace every time that we have to resist and, and defeat the enemy. But let me give you one example of this that's it's the most outstanding example in the Bible of this type of grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, For though I would desire to glory or brag, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest, my, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me, or be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, uh, Paul has so much revelation from God, it would have been easy for him to get what we call the big head. But there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, this messenger of Satan was sent to buffet Paul so he wouldn't get the big head because of his superior knowledge and revelation. And for this thing, what thing? The messenger that was sent from Satan to buffet him, he said, because of this thing, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this is the type of grace that strengthens us and enables us to stand victorious in this life. And here's what happened when Paul applied this type of grace. And Jesus was actually saying to him, Paul, my grace, my strengthening power that enables you to stand victorious will be sufficient for you to overcome this messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet you. The same messenger that he asked God three times to remove from his side, the thorn in his side. So there is power in this grace that can cause us to overcome anything and stand victorious in this life. And once Paul realized that, he said in the very next verse, verse 10, he said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. I'd rather brag about my infirmities. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. In other words, he's saying, bring it on. The more you put on me, the more God's grace will allow me to stand. And the weaker I am in myself, the stronger I'll be in God's grace. And that's standing grace. It's not just something that you just miserably tolerate, uh, everything that the devil puts on you. And then one more grace, there's serving grace, which equips us and enables us to serve God effectively uh, in a certain capacity according to what he has called us to do. 
uh, you know, I'm a pastor, and my wife's a pastor, and he has graced us to stand in this office. That's why we've been able to, through hell and high water, we've been able to stand in this grace for 25 years. Without his grace, we'd have quit a long time ago. I can, I can think of many times that we wanted to quit, but we didn't because of God's grace. His grace allowed us to stand in this and not just tolerate it, but become victorious and become successful. You know, saving grace and standing grace are available equally to every believer. Where serving grace will vary from believer to believer based on what God has called them to do. It's like electricity. Electricity is always the same, but its application is different depending on what it flows into. For example, a power saw needs a lot more electricity than a 25-watt light bulb. But whatever God has allowed into your life, he has graced you to be successful in doing it. He has empowered you to do it. And when you're a believer, God always empowers you to succeed. And there's two things that you need to do, and you will always be successful. Get your pen ready, because these are really mind-blowing things. These are phenomenal things. You ready? Number one, get started. Number two, don't quit. If you'll do those two things, you will always be successful in everything that you do. It's grace that reached down and saved you. It's grace that's empowering you to get through this COVID-19 pandemic victoriously. And it's grace that called you out and empowered you to be what God says that you can be. Not what anybody else says you can be, but what God says you can be. And never underestimate the power of grace and what it cost God to give it to us. He loved us enough to pay that price, and we should esteem it highly. We shouldn't treat it as though it's something cheap. It was grace that found the prodigal son in a pig pen and brought him home. It was grace that found Joseph in a pit and elevated him to second in command of all of Egypt. It was grace that found the Samaritan woman at a well at a certain time of the day. It was grace that healed the woman with the issue of blood. Grace that found a man with the wizard, withered hand, uh, the little woman that was bowed over for 18 years. It was grace that found the man at the pool of Bethesda and stirred the waters. And it was grace that healed blind Bartimaeus and the 10 lepers. That's grace. Hallelujah. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And no matter where you may be today or what you're going through, grace will find you and get you through. God's grace will get you through anything that you're going through, anything you're about to go through. And it's already been bestowed upon you. It's already been given to you. It was a gift. Just simply receive it for yourself and start operating and walking in it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for your wonderful gift of salvation. Thank you for your wonderful gift of grace. Thank you for the wonderful gift of faith that we will need to receive all the things that you have given us. Help us to be strong and help us to walk in that grace that you so freely and willingly supplied us, that you so freely and willingly gave. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice on Calvary. You died, and you're the personification of grace. You, grace was embodied in you. You are grace uh, personified. And we thank you and we praise you that all of that grace and everything you did has been bestowed upon us. We give you glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. Stay well. Be safe. And we'll see you Wednesday night.
This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord. Oh, 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 oh,